Thank you for joining us for the University of Illinois Press podcast, The Upside. I am your host, Elizabeth Hess. I am joined today by Dr. Steve B. Lee, an assistant professor of ethnomusicology in the University of Maryland School of Music. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Before we get started, your research interests include wraith, ethnicity, and semiotics. Can you tell me a little bit about these topics and what drew you to them? I've long been interested in issues about race and ethnicity via my involvement with Romani music. So I am trained as a violinist and a violist, and through my interest in non-Western, non-classical musics, I kind of explored a lot of different styles and uh, came to find that Romani musics of all different kinds were very interesting to me. And at the same time that I was discovering these musics, especially the genre that I'll talk about in a bit, jazz manouche, I also developed an interest in the politics of Romani musics and different Romani cultures and just everything that went into them. So that is kind of how my interest in race and ethnicity really started to blossom. I should mention as well that Romanis are otherwise often known somewhat pejoratively as gypsies, and they are an ethno-racially minoritized group who, as many scholars and activists and performers themselves have made clear, they are simultaneously celebrated for their artistic practices and then otherwise discriminated against for racial and class-based reasons, primarily in Europe, but also in other parts of the world. They live throughout the world. So what really interests me from the angle of race and ethnicity is how Romanis are racialized and how they contend with racializing frameworks and then what the roles of both the music industry and activism circles are in challenging but also perpetuating sometimes these racializing frames. That's kind of, in a nutshell, my interest in race and ethnicity. And then in terms of semiotics, so my training is an ethnomusicologist and as a linguistic anthropologist. And within linguistic anthropology, there is a huge body of work that deals with semiotics and specifically with how people communicate using both language and other kinds of semiotic modalities. So that can include things like music and gesture, image, basically any means through which you can communicate is considered a semiotic modality. So I've always been fascinated by questions about how communication writ large works, and then also about how people's beliefs and values, or in other words, their ideologies about communication play out. And I found that pursuing questions of racialization through a semiotic framework can be really productive, especially when you're looking at the interplay between things like music and language. So what I'm really looking at is how people both produce and make sense of racial identities, especially through music performance and talk about music, the language they use to describe music and musical experience. To answer all of these kinds of questions, I've devoted my research over the last decade or so to studying what I mentioned before as the genre of jazz manouche, which is named after the manouche group of Romanis who reside primarily in France and for whom the genre of jazz manouche is, of course, named. Jazz Manouche is a style of jazz that's based largely on the work of Manouche guitarist Django Reinhardt, who was a real creative pioneer of the guitar as a jazz solo instrument. He was famous from the 1930s right up until his death until 1953. And then about a couple decades after his death, a style of jazz started developing that was really dedicated to recreating his own style. And a lot of people who were at the forefront of this development were Manouche Romanis, and in many cases also Sinti Romanis who live primarily in Germany and are closely related to Manouche. So all of the research that I published in the last few years focuses on the politics and the economics of the genre in France, starting in Django's era between the world wars and then going right up through the present day. 
I'm glad you brought up Jazz Manouche because here at the University of Illinois Press, we appreciate journal authors who submit to multiple journals, and you've talked about it in both jazz and culture and ethnomusicology. Can you talk about your relationship with the University of Illinois Press, and how did you get involved in writing either of those articles for our issues? The first article that I submitted to the University of Illinois Press was to Jazz and Culture, and that was actually not so much an article as it was an oral history of a musician that I've worked closely with for a while whose name is Bandito Reinhardt. And I submitted that oral history as part of the relaunch of Jazz and Culture, which had existed a long time prior to when I submitted it in 2017, I believe. And then it kind of laid dormant. And then Michael Heller took the reins and as the editor-in-chief of that. And I got very excited because I knew this could be a great opportunity. And so I was part of that initial reboot. And I was really excited to publish in a jazz journal because I hadn't done so at that point. Most of my publishing has been primarily in journals devoted to uh, musicology and ethnomusicology writ large, and then also to publications that have more to do with race and ethnicity. And so this was a great opportunity, not only to publish in a jazz journal, but also to tell the story of someone who does not normally figure in jazz histories, especially U.S. jazz histories, and giving more of an international perspective to this French musician. I thought that was hopefully helpful for an American audience. And you mentioned the fact that you usually submit to ethnomusicology and that type of publication. You submitted a journal article, Music That Tears You Apart, Jazz Minouche and the Qualia of Ethno-Race. What was the main theme of that article? This article focused much more on the ethnographic research that I conducted in France. And in this article, I tried to show how some people understand ethno-racial identity to be perceptible in musical sound itself. So what got me started on this article was that I found that a lot of people say that they can hear whether a musician is Venouche or not, depending just on the sound of their guitar stroke. And I realized that it's not at all uncommon for people to say that they can hear the identity or the racial identity of someone just based on their musical sound. However, most of the time that happens when people hear the voice of someone. They often say that they can identify whether or not they're correct. They often feel that they can identify that person's ethno-racial background. But what I found so interesting about the people that I was working with in France is that they weren't looking to the voice, they were looking to instrumental sound, which I think is less common. So in this article, I really try to explore the kinds of language that people use to convey how they hear a musician's identity in music. And in order to do that, I use a semiotic framework focused on a particular kind of sign that's called a quali sign or qualia in the plural, which basically refers to how people perceive the different sensorial elements of a given sign, in this case, musical sound. The article itself is really focused on these linguistic strategies that people use, which often end up in people saying that you really just can't describe the feeling of a sound because it's ineffable and it goes beyond words. Ultimately, what I'm trying to do in this article is point to these strategies of both describing the sound, but also saying you can't describe it. And I point to how those strategies actually reflect political beliefs about how menu should be valued both in France and also in the music industry more generally. Let's shift our focus to your recent publication of a book, Django Generations, Hearing, Ethnorace, Citizenship, and Jazz Minutian France. Talk about the book and what inspired you to write it. 
this book is basically the culmination of all the research that I've been doing over the past decade or so on Jasmineuse and within the political and economic context of France. So it does include a lot about Mandino Reinhardt and the people that he worked with. And it also includes a version of the article that I published in Ethnomusicology that I just described. But the overall thrust of the book is really about how Manouche people use music and language to further their own political and economic goals and how that all plays out for better or for worse. And I look at this, as I said, in the context of France, which has a very particular set of racial dynamics that might seem a bit strange to people in the U.S., because in France, there are government policies that ban the collection of statistics about the country's ethnic, racial, and religious demographics, which is a result of the fact that France sees itself as a colorblind society. So if you're French, it shouldn't matter what race or religion you belong to. You're just French and you are expected to assimilate to national values and cultural practices. But what this actually means in practice is that the nations at the racial and religious minorities end up finding themselves in kind of a bind because they're basically told to leave those identities behind or face the consequences of not assimilating to French society. And of course, it should go without saying, but I'm, I'm going to say it, that the entire idea of a normative French identity to which people should assimilate is based entirely on the white Christian ideal subject. So it's this kind of obvious paradox with this whole idea of a colorblind society in that it's actually based on white supremacy. So what I try to look at in this book is how Manouche people deal with this paradox of being both Manouche and French and how they do this through music and talk about music, which sometimes become ways to circumvent direct confrontation of racial issues that might otherwise be somewhat censured within the context of colorblindness. Who is the target of this book? Are you looking for your colleagues to pick it up, for your students? Who exactly are the targets of this book? Because this is my tenure book, I have necessarily framed it primarily for an audience of other scholars and graduate students, undergraduate students, upper level undergraduate students as well, basically a primarily academic audience. But I've also tried to write it in a way that can be appealing and accessible to people beyond academia who are interested either in the history of Django Reinhardt or Jasmine Douche. There's a lot of people out there who are fascinated by the story because it is a really, really intriguing story. But then also people who might be interested in French racial politics or just racial politics in general and looking for a different kind of perspective than the one they might be more used to in the U.S. And then to kind of help establish that broader audience, I've developed a companion website for the book. It's www.djangogen.com. And that website will very soon include a lot of multimedia to supplement every chapter in the book. And I see that as both a way to bring the pages of the book to life, but also to draw people in who have not necessarily read the book or have any plans of reading the book. That's also a way for them to engage with the book's core themes through various kinds of media. Tell me what it's like teaching at the University of Maryland this year. Are you online? Is it a hybrid situation or are you back to being in person? UMD is all in person. We're trying to get back to a relative state of normalcy. I'm teaching two classes this semester, an undergrad and a graduate course, and we are fully in person except for there are a few classes that I am putting on Zoom when we have special guests come in and it's just a little easier that way to have everyone in their Zoom boxes. But other than that, yeah, we're in person and despite all of the risks and uncertainty, it feels great to be able to interact with my students that way. 
We talked about what your interests are overall, race, ethnicity, and semiotics. Are you currently writing anything or submitting anything? And what topics are you covering? Right now, I am in the thick of book promotion. So a lot of my energies are really going towards that. And I still, because of the academic publishing pipeline, I actually still have a couple of pieces that have yet to come out that are directly related to themes brought up in the book. I'm still in the thick of this topic of Jasmineush and race and ethnicity and semiotics, but I am looking ahead to next moves, next projects. One project that I've been at work on actually for quite a while now, I am co-authoring a book with a longtime mentor and colleague of mine who is a linguistic anthropologist. Prior to starting work at UMD and during my graduate studies, I also had kind of a side gig working as an ethnographer at the Public Theater in New York for a program that they have called Public Works, which is a community-based theater program. My colleague and I did a lot of ethnographic work for that, and we are finally coming together to put this work out there. Initially, it was intended for an internal audience within the public theater, but we are now trying to make the most of this ethnographic work we did and hopefully help influence other theater and arts organizations more broadly through our experience of working with this program. But for my own personal research, the next project, I'm still kind of in the very beginning phases of envisioning but it does build on research that I've done already having to do with the Romani experience of the Holocaust and how that is commemorated through things like music, but also other expressive practices like theater and oral history testimony. So I'm still figuring out exactly what the thrust of that's going to be, but it will center around the fact that the Romani experience of the Holocaust uh, still goes drastically under-recognized both in the general public, but also by institutions, especially in Europe. And Manouche people have had a very difficult time fighting for that recognition, especially because there are a lot of circumstances that have prevented them from either speaking out or just being heard when they do speak out. That's kind of where my next research direction is going in. Like I said, I have some research already done in that, but I'm really trying to bring that to the next level. If somebody has questions or wants more information about you or your publications, we can find you at www.cvbelee.com. Are you also active on social media, Twitter, or Facebook? Yeah, I'm active on Twitter. My handle is at cvbelee. That's it. And I am far less active on Facebook, but I can be found there. But Twitter is my main social media platform. The latest volume of Ethnomusicology and Jazz and Culture are available online at press.uillinois.edu. Congratulations on your new book, Dr. Steve B. Lee. Thank you so much for your time today. Great. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. 